Welcome to this special Inclusivity in Medicine curbside Council series. My name is James O'Connell and I'm an editorial fellow at NEJM. Now more than ever, physicians in many countries are seeing the effects of inequality, inequity and racism on their patient's health. As physicians, we have a responsibility to use our unique position in society to act and advocate on behalf of people who, because of inequity, inequality or racism, may be excluded from participating in healthcare. In this Inclusivity in Medicine series, we aim to explore these issues and how they may be overcome. A perspective published in the New England Journal of Medicine entitled Social Distance and Mobility by Dr. Laszlo Madaras and colleagues used the example of a young pregnant woman from Mexico who was a migrant berry picker and moved to a new farm every three to six weeks. The authors highlighted the concept of social distance, that is the difference between the life of the imagined patient whom a healthcare institution is designed to serve and a particular patient's actual life. For the patient and Dr. Madaris's perspective, social distance included practical aspects such as our mobile lifestyle, attending multiple health systems, and having appointments at fixed times and fixed locations. They explored the relationship between healthcare systems, social distance, and migrants further. We are joined by Dr. Sarah Kimball, internist, assistant professor at Boston University School of Medicine, and director of the Immigrant and Refugee Health Center at Boston Medical Center. Welcome, Dr. Kimball, and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So we have an interesting uh, discussion lined up today, but just to start with, could you tell us a bit about the Boston Immigrant and Refugee Health Center and what kind of work you do there? Sure. Well, so I'll start by saying I'm first and foremost a primary care doctor. So most of my work is in primary care focusing on immigrant and refugee populations. And I'm really fortunate to be able to direct the Immigrant and Refugee Health Center at BMC where we're focused on treating really any patient who feels like their immigrant experience is a defining part of their identity and impacts their day-to-day life and their health. So our, our programs have a particular expertise in working with refugees, asylum seekers, and individuals who have experienced trauma prior to migrating. But overall at the IRHC, we believe that your immigration status and your journey is unique and personal but that it shouldn't create barriers to having your healthcare needs met. We're also part of a larger academic medical practice at Boston Medical Center. So we're embedded within a larger safety net institution that has a lot of specialty services. And immigrants are obviously a very broad and diverse group of people, depending on um, the country you're in or even the part of the country you're in, particularly in a country the size of the United States. Um, So could you describe maybe some of the demographics of the patients that you see at the Immigrant and Refugee Health Center and maybe the types of health problems that are commonly um, presented with? So the top five countries of origin of patients in the last few years in our center are Uganda, Haiti, Somalia, Ethiopia, and Nigeria. But we see patients from all over the world. The health conditions that our patients frequently come to us with fall into a, a few different buckets. So, of course, we see all of the same chronic diseases that are typical to primary care, like diabetes and hypertension, but they're often complicated by whether our patients were able to access diagnostics and treatment prior to coming to the U.S. or along their migration journey here. We also see infectious diseases that are more common in other parts of the world, like tuberculosis or hepatitis B, and we see and treat a host of behavioral health conditions like depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. We have a really excellent team of behavioral health professionals who are trained in both trauma and immigration-informed approaches to mental health. So really, our initial approach to caring for immigrant patients 
revolves around taking a trauma-informed approach in a primary care setting. We're really focused on patient choice and establishing a collaborative relationship that allows for our patients to start to feel safe, both emotionally and physically, which is really a big challenge for many of our patients when they first arrive in the U.S. So our long-term goal is to help our patients become increasingly empowered in their lives and their healthcare decisions. And we really believe that immigrants don't need to have any different health outcomes than the rest of the patients in our practice, but that it's our job to help mitigate those disparities. And there you touched on the fact that often refugees in particular will have come from areas where they'll have lots of deprivation or perhaps where health systems have broken down. And that being one of the factors that actually pushed them to, to migrate. How does this influence what care they need from you at the Boston Immigrant and Refugee Health Center? So in general, we tend to think about the risks and vulnerabilities that our patients are subject to in three categories. There's their pre-migration risks, their during migration risks, and then what happens after they migrate and are resettled. So refugees in particular have often been subject to trauma or violence and disruptions in their lives, disruptions in their ability to access social services prior to coming to a new country, as you had referenced. And the model of refugee health has really changed in the last 10 or 15 years. Historically, we often thought of refugees as people who had lived in camps or had really poor access to all sorts of services for prolonged periods of time. But more and more these days, we're seeing refugees who were living in urban areas. For example, many refugees from Syria and Iraq and they had access to world-class standard healthcare, but that this was disrupted due to violence. So one of the most interesting and important parts of my job is to have a deep curiosity about what the experience of my patients was prior to coming to the United States and what kind of access they had to healthcare and diagnostics. So we really see across the map, some patients who have had almost no access to preventative healthcare and some who have had excellent access, but then it was disrupted due to violence where they were living. So particularly for many of our patients who were seeking asylum, many of them were in situations where it wasn't safe for them to seek medical care. So we're often seeing the physical manifestations of the trauma that they were exposed to. And uh, then you mentioned that a lot of your work was really in primary care. So how does the service provided at the Immigrant and Refugee Health Center uh, differ from that, let's say, of any other primary care center that the migrant or a refugee might attend? I really think of this as primary care plus. So we're doing all of the same services that you wouldn't see in a general primary care clinic. And as I said before, the vision of our clinic is that there's no reason why our immigrant patients shouldn't be as healthy as any other patient in our practice. So it's our job to build the interventions that help mitigate the disparities that our migrant patients are facing. So to do this, we have built many programs that historically might have been thought of as outside of the typical scope of healthcare. But we know from our patients that they're critical for them to be healthy or well. So for example, we have a robust career services program that helps patients, even before they have work permits, prepare to enter the workplace. They do things like helping them prepare CVs or practice interviewing, for example. We know that economic empowerment is one of the most powerful tools to promote wellness for our patients. And so we feel like we have to really expand the scope of what is traditionally offered in primary care to help with our patients, particularly when they're newly arrived, be ready to enter the workforce. We also have a partnership with the RIAN Immigrant Center, where we have an embedded immigration attorney in our clinic. So we provide on-site immigration expertise to patients who need help navigating 
our incredibly complicated immigration legal system. So we've heard from our patients that these type of programs are really critical to helping them mitigate some of the upstream factors that are driving their poor health outcomes. And we really believe that this is the kind of plus of primary care, the primary care plus model of being able to get all of your primary care needs met, but also programs, like I'm mentioning, that help to change some of the upstream drivers that are barriers for our immigrant patients. Well, it sounds like a very holistic type of healthcare you're providing. You're looking at their kind of social health in terms of job and career prospects, but also their mental and, and physical health. Also, at the beginning, I had mentioned some of the more, I guess, practical difficulties migrants can have accessing healthcare, such as having multiple appointments in different hospitals and also having to move around at the same time. What other kind of social or cultural barriers might there be? For many of our patients, one of the first and biggest challenges that they face is learning not only how to navigate a new healthcare system, and, and our healthcare system is quite complicated, but also learning whether they can trust their healthcare providers and the system itself. Many of our patients are coming from countries where there aren't the same privacy protections around healthcare that we have in the U.S., or even worse, where their healthcare providers have been complicit in an experience of harm. So a lot of the work that we do up front is helping our patients understand what their rights are in the U.S. healthcare system, helping them know that HIPAA is incredibly strong, and so they can trust that their healthcare providers will not be sharing any of their information. And so we really spend a lot of time trying to help folks feel that the healthcare system is safe for them to come to with their challenges. One of the other barriers that we've been experiencing, particularly in the last few years, is what our patients are experiencing post-migration in our communities. And increasingly, many of our patients are talking about how the culture of xenophobia and the culture of racism here in the U.S. is dramatically impacting their wellness after they've arrived. And I'll say this is particularly heartbreaking for me because, of course, all of us who are in immigrant and refugee health want to believe that people come to the U.S. and they have a chance at success, wellness, happiness, and knowing that we really have homework to do to kind of clean up our own situations and communities in order to make people feel safe when they get here. It's both heartbreaking and I think really important for us to focus as well on what's happening within our own communities once people arrive. One of the things you uh, mentioned there was the kind of cost and complexity of accessing healthcare in, in the U.S. and of course accessing healthcare in, in most Western countries isn't straightforward by any means, but specifically, it does seem to act as a barrier for migrants and refugees. How do you overcome these when you are encounter these patients in clinical care? Yeah, I think it's such a great question because as healthcare providers, we're not always trained in things like insurance access. We're really fortunate in Massachusetts that anyone who's living in the state can get at least some basic form of coverage. But that's not true in every state. And even the fact that there's uh, variability in that between states is very confusing, especially for populations that are moving between states. So there isn't a single day in clinic where I don't have a patient asking me questions about public benefits access and health insurance. And I really relied on collaborating with our patient financial counseling experts to help answer some of those questions. But I do think we as healthcare providers have to understand some of the barriers that our patients are facing. So as a safety net institution, Boston Medical Center is really expert in trying to leverage all sorts of services to help mitigate some of the complexity and cost of healthcare. 
But even in an institution that focuses on equity as their mandate in a state where we have pretty broad coverage, the overall system still allows patients to fall through the cracks sometimes. So we in our center have had to work with a blend of community partners. We work with philanthropists who are willing to help fund some direct patient needs. So for example, patient may have insurance that allows them to see us in primary care and get an appointment with a audiologist, but if they have hearing impairments, the insurance won't cover hearing aids. So we've had to work for an example like that with philanthropists to help pay for direct patient needs that aren't covered by insurance. We also work with community public benefits advocates who are expert in helping patients maximize their access to public benefits. And this is really, this and our immigration legal program has shown me the importance of collaborating with legal partners and legal advocates that sometimes that's what it takes to make sure that our patients are getting access to everything that they have the right to access. And for residents and trainees who perhaps don't work in centers that specialize specifically in looking after patients who are migrants or refugees, what kind of things could they do day to day in the hospital setting or in the primary care setting when they encounter vulnerable migrants or refugees? So to start with, I would say that in medicine, we're really often trained to problematize people and to think of them in terms of their vulnerabilities and problems. We're trained in problem-based charting and diagnostic criteria. We're all prone to do this, but I believe that when we frame our thinking around patients' vulnerabilities and their problems, we often are at risk of missing all of the richness of their humanity and their resilience. And so I would encourage anyone who has the fortune to be caring for migrant patients to make sure that in addition to asking them about their vulnerabilities and what kind of service needs they have. Also ask them about what brings them strength and inspiration. And I'm really fond of asking the question, it sounds like you've been through a lot to get here. What brings you hope? What brings you inspiration? I think it helps us understand the whole story of our patients instead of just focusing on the challenges that they're facing. I also think it's really important to know and ask patients about immigration-related stressors. And you have to contextualize this for patients because many of our patients are afraid when they get questions about immigration that we are reporting this to folks who will put them at risk of deportation. So you have to tell patients that you're asking because you care about their well-being. But I'm often asking patients these days saying something like, many of my immigrant patients are under a lot of stress now. How are you doing? And do you have any stress due to immigration? So I I think you have to know that even if we're not asking this, many of our migrant patients have a lot of stressors related to their immigration status. And I think as long as you contextualize that you're asking because you care about the patient, it can be really important to help understand how people's immigration status and immigration journeys are affecting their healthcare. Sure. And since the onset of uh, COVID-19 over a year ago now, we've realized how important it is to have good technology infrastructure in our healthcare systems, but in particular for migrant health and refugee health. Are there any gaps in technology or infrastructure that need to be addressed to improve healthcare? Just as the perspectives piece that you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, my colleagues at the Migrant Clinicians Network have developed really tremendous technology that allows patients who don't fit our traditional medical model of staying in one place to have portable medical records. And I think that's incredibly critical. In many ways, our whole healthcare system could learn from this because many patients, not just people who we traditionally think of as immigrants or migrants, 
move through different healthcare systems and end up having duplication in their services because our system is not built for information to move with patients. As you mentioned, with COVID, we all as a healthcare system have had to really rapidly adapt and jump forward into the world of telemedicine, which has been an incredible improvement for so many of my patients. We used to have transportation listed as the number one barrier that our patients faced to getting into clinic, and people had to travel quite far to get their healthcare needs met. So we're incredibly fortunate to have had the potential to improve healthcare access for many of our patients by offering them access to telemedicine. The challenge that I think many of us are struggling with is that many of our patients still lack access to reliable or high enough speed Wi-Fi or devices that allow them to have video healthcare visits. Many healthcare systems are struggling with including interpreters into video visits. So for patients with limited English proficiency, they're getting a different standard of care. And so while I'm incredibly excited about the potential that telemedicine has to make our healthcare system more accessible and to decrease that social distance that patients are facing, I think we have to be incredibly conscientious about making sure that it's available equitably to patients. And we've spoken a lot about some of these specific care you provide at the Boston Immigrant and Refugee Health Center, and then also on possibly patient um, clinician level, what kind of uh, things need to be done. On a more national level, though, what kind of policy changes do you think are needed to improve access to healthcare for migrants and refugees? So on a really fundamental level, the ability to access healthcare should not be dependent on your immigration status. Currently, our patients have to deal with so many complexities around how our system is designed to exclude certain migrants from accessing public benefits and insurance. And this creates a segregated and tiered healthcare system. So I think on a very deep level, we need to make the commitment that healthcare access is a right that people in our country should be able to access regardless of their immigration status. More immediately, there's been just tremendous harm done over the past four years, particularly through the enactment of public charge determination changes, which have forced many immigrants to choose between using public benefits like health insurance at the potential expense of a future green card and a safe pathway to staying in the United States. I was really excited that just the other day, the Biden-Harris administration signaled that they're going to undo some of the changes that broadened the scope of the public charge rule. But a lot of harm has been already done. So many migrants now fear that utilizing healthcare or other benefits will put them at future risk of deportation. So even if we're able to roll back some of the changes to the public charge determination or any of the other immigration changes that have gone in over the past even more than four years, we still have the massive task of rebuilding trust with the swath of our country that has been told that it's unsafe for them to seek health care. And I think we're learning so much these days as we watch vaccine hesitancy stories about how much trust is critical and how for many of our patients, our healthcare system has a lot of work to do to rebuild trust and to be trustworthy partners for people in their healthcare journey. So that wraps up this Inclusivity in Medicine episode of Curbside Consults. I would like to thank Dr. Sarah Kimball for joining us today in our discussion about the challenges faced by migrants and refugees in accessing healthcare. Our production team here at NEGM Residentry 16 includes Karen Buckley, Lynn Winston-Perry, Kyle Simmons, Mike Damasus, Tim Vining, Scott Williams, and Kathy Stern. Special thanks also to our NEGM Education Editor, Dr. O.P. Handley. 
If you have any feedback, questions, or suggestions for future podcast topics, please email us at resident360.negm.org. Remember to subscribe to the NEGM social media sites, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, via the NEGM.org pages. On behalf of the New England Journal of Medicine, this is James O'Connell signing off.